All right. Well, I want to welcome everyone today and also want to uh, look into the camera as I do every single week and say a big hello to all those joining us online, along with all the men and women in our correctional ministry. We love you guys. We believe in you. Come on, D-Town. Help me welcome my church family today. So good. We even want to welcome all those joining us from the lake. We hope it rains on you today, but we're glad that you are with us. But today we... We are in week number three of our Ten Commandments series where we have been doing, yep, you guessed it, studying the Ten Commandments, but not in a way that you might expect because I don't believe that God was just giving us a list of rules or a bunch of do's or don'ts, but behind each commandment, there was a principle that God was giving to his people to teach them how to live and to help deepen our relationship with God and with each other. Now, the Ten Commandments are the beginning of God's law given to his people. And each week, I've been reminding us that God's laws are not the same as man's laws. In fact, we've been kind of having some fun uh, talking about some weird state laws that are still in effect in our country to prove that God's law is better than man's law. Have you guys enjoyed those, those at all? I, I asked my... Uh, I asked my son last week, hey, what would you learn from the message? He goes, I, I learned that police officers in Paulding can bite dogs. And I was like, well, at least you're listening, right? At least you, at least you got something. Stay away from Paulding. So I have a few more that I brought with me today that I want to give to you. In Skamania County, Washington, killing Bigfoot or Sasquatch is a felony and punishable by five years in prison. I mean, can you imagine? Well, maybe you can't, but I can. Sitting around going, hey, what'd you do? What are you in for? He's like, ah, oh, man, I cheated on my taxes. And they're like, what'd you do, man? I, I didn't pay my, my speeding tickets. What'd you do? I killed Bigfoot. They're like, dude, Stay away from that guy. Don't mess with him. Uh, in, ten in Tennessee, it's prohibited to catch a fish using a lasso. Come on, we're taking, we're taking this cowboy thing a little too far, Tennessee. What are you doing? In Alaska, it's illegal for flamingos to be in barbershops. I don't even understand that one at all, Alaskans. In Chicago, Illinois, giving whiskey to dogs is prohibited. We got enough problems in Chicago. We don't, we don't need to turn our dogs into alcoholics. And then finally today in Maine, it's illegal in Maine to step out of a plane mid-flight, which I don't even know how you get charged for that. You know, like that is, how I many God's laws are not the same as man's laws. And the Ten Commandments, just to remind us, they're, they're in two types of categories. And we spent the first two weeks talking about the first four commandments that uh, are, are God-centered, dealing with our relationship with Him. And, and then these last six, we're going to dive into uh, these last six categories that, that are really, they're people-centered, dealing with our relationships with one another. And so we're going to dive in and study the fifth and sixth commandment uh, today. And so let's start with the fifth commandment, where the first thing that God addresses as we dive into these people-centered commandments is he addresses the family. Let's take a look at it. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. 
says, honor your father and mother. And all the parents said, amen. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And so the principle uh, behind this commandment to help deepen our relationships with one another, if you're taking notes, is number one, is the principle of honor. We're going to stay in honor. Come on, somebody. Honor. And and the Hebrew word for uh, honor in this commandment is uh, the Hebrew word kabod. Not kebab, that's a whole nother, that's a steak and chicken thing. Kabod with a D, and it literally means this weight, this heaviness, and this value. God says, I want you to have this heart towards your father and mother, that there would be this weight, there would be this heaviness, that there would be this, this place of value that you would hold them in. It's the principle of honor. It's also interesting to to point out that this is the only commandment out of the 10 that has a promise attached to it, that if we do this, we will live a long life in the land our God is giving to us. But what's interesting, I want to point out when it comes to the Israelites, is that the majority of people that came out of Egypt never made it into the promised land. They were slaves for over 430 years in Egypt, bondage, oppression, and God delivers them, parts the Red Sea. They walk over on dry ground, and on the other side of the Red Sea is Mount Sinai, where God gives, he writes the Ten Commandments with his finger on two stone tablets, gives them to Moses to give to his people, and then they would spend the next 40 years wandering through the wilderness on their way to the Promised Land, which would be modern-day Israel and everyone who was 20 years of age and older outside of Joshua and Caleb would never step foot into the promised land. They would actually never get there. You want to know why? Because they didn't honor the word of the Lord. And God is saying, I want you to learn this principle of honor from an early age, to honor your father and mother, to honor your parents, because God would say, they represent me. And if you can't honor them, you're not going to be able to honor me. And many people did not enter the promised land because they didn't honor the word of the Lord. They didn't give it a weight. They didn't give God's word this heaviness or place high enough value on it. It's the principle of honor, and if, if the word honor means weight or heaviness, then to dishonor would simply mean to take lightly, or we could say to take for granted. And as I was studying this commandment this, this past week and just praying over our time together, I felt like God kind of spoke to me uh, as a parent. I've been a parent for, for 14 years now. And you might think, well, you've, you've learned a lot. You know a lot about parenting. I know a lot about what not to do. Come on, parents. And I can give you a whole, I wrote a book on things that you cannot, you, you should not do as a parent. And I wrote a half a page on things you should do. But, but something I have learned as a parent these past 14 years, maybe you can relate. And that is you sacrifice a lot for your children. In fact, I had a mentor tell me one time, if you want to see how selfish you are, just get married. And if you want to see how really selfish you are, have kids. Because at each level, there's a dying to self. At each level, there's a giving up of what we want to do 
for the other person. And as parents, we, we sacrifice a lot for our kids, and rightly so, and gladly so. Anybody besides me, I'm glad to do it. But when they dishonor or devalue us as parents, it shows contempt for what we've done for them. Ever heard the saying, familiarity breeds contempt? Well, familiarity comes from the word family, that we become so familiar with one another, we start to take each other lightly. We become so familiar with one another, we start to take each other for granted. And God says, if you'll do that with each other, you're going to do that with me. In fact, Jesus even experienced this in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Let's read it together. It says, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The boys are back in town. Verse 2 said, the next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Now, I want to point out, it's underlined in the text, because that word amazed is, is really not a great translation from the Greek. Like, we think amazed, like they were blown away, astonished, oh my goodness, look what he can do. Right? That's how, not, like how my wife was with me when she first met me, right? But that's actually not the word that's, that's being used here. It's not a good amaze. A better translation would be shocked or appalled. That they were appalled. And, and this word actually means to come against someone physically, to drive out or to drive away. So they, and many who heard Jesus teach in the synagogue were appalled. And they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and power to perform such miracles? And then what did they do in verse three? They scoffed, they mocked, and they said, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Other, other versions say, they asked the question, isn't this Mary's boy? Isn't this Mary's son? And his sisters live right here among us, they said. And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. In other words, they took Jesus lightly. They treated him as common or ordinary, and they dishonored him. And take a look at what Jesus says after they did, after they devalued him, as, after they took him as, as lightly, as common or ordinary. Verse four says, then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, isn't that interesting that Jesus connects dishonor to take lightly, to take for granted with unbelief. And because of their unbelief, because they couldn't get past that he was a carpenter, because they couldn't get past how familiar they had become with Jesus, they had unbelief. And because of their unbelief, what did it do? It limited what Jesus could do in their lives. He couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. As we dive into this, this principle of honor, I think it's important to, to ask the question, what caused the, the, the unbelief? Dishonor. And so on the, on the other side of the coin, if, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. And that is honor produces faith. Honor, this weight, this heaviness, this, this value that we would give to God and to each other can actually produce faith. Remember the story in scripture of the Roman centurion? He goes to Jesus, his, his servant whom he loved was sick, and, and he tells Jesus, can, can you heal my servant? 
He's homesick, and, and Jesus goes, well, you want me to come to your, to your house with you? And the Roman soldier's like, no, 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 I'm not worthy to have you in my home at all, but, but I'm a man in authority, and I'm a man under authority, and, and, and so I know when I give the word to my soldiers, they'll go and do it. And when I tell my servant what to do, he does it. And all you have to do, Jesus, is say the word and it will be done. Do you remember what Jesus' response to this, this whole thing was? He goes, nowhere in all of Israel. Here, here, here's a heathen. It's not even a Jewish guy. It's not, even, it's not even a follower of Jesus. This is a Roman soldier. Nowhere in all of Israel have I seen such great faith. And he said, it has been done just as, you have, just as you have said. And in that moment, his servant was healed. Well, how did this Roman soldier understand faith? Well, he understood honor and he understood authority. Well, what's this principle of honor? That we would honor those in authority. That God wants us to, uh, to, to honor our father and mother so that we can honor authority, so that we can grow our faith. So something else I want us to understand about honor today, if you're taking notes, and that is honor produces blessing. You know, Paul refers to this fifth commandment in the New Testament. I want to take a look at it in Ephesians chapter six, verses one through three. Paul says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. And here he quotes the, the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and your mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Honor your father and mother. Well, what's the promise? A lot of people will just say, well, that you have a long life. And that's part of the promise, but that's not the entire promise. The promise is that it also, also things may go well with you and then you will live a long life. Because the question is, who wants to live a long life when things don't go well? Who wants to stay in the storm for the next 50 years, right? No, I want things to go well. And God says, how do you do that? You honor your father and mother. Why should we honor our father and mother? Because if we don't, they will kill you. Come on. <laughs> honor your father. I was thinking about this. And you know how rich our lives will be it's not a result of how much money is in our bank account or how much material things that we accumulate throughout this life. How rich our lives will be will be a direct result of the relationships that we have in our lives and how deep those relationships are, how blessed we are was a direct result of the relationships that we have in our lives. I like to say that life is about memories and moments. At the end of our lives, we're going to be thinking about the memories and the moments that we created with the people that we loved, the people that were closest to us. And God is saying, if you want to have a rich, full life, if you want to experience the deep connection with someone else, if you want to live a long life, then, then don't take your family for granted. Don't, don't start taking your mom and dad lightly. Parents, let's not keep taking our kids for granted, right? 
No, that we would cherish our relationships, that we we wouldn't take them lightly, that we'd hold each other in this place of of heaviness and and weight and this, this value because it will deepen our relationship with one another and give us a full life. And God is saying, this, this is how you live. This is how you experienced some of the blessings that I want to give to you. Can I get an amen today? And at the same time, though, as we honor our parents, what if we didn't, some of us might ask the question, well, what if we didn't have the best parents? How do we honor dishonorable people? I want you to know it's easier said than done. I mean, how do we show honor? We show honor with our, with our words and the posture of our hearts. But at the same time, if, if we didn't have maybe the best parents or there's issues, there's, dis, there's dysfunction that we might need to place boundaries in our relationships. If there's abuse, we, we might need to take some, some drastic steps to, to take, get out of that uh, dysfunctional or abusive relationship. But, but how do we just honor those who maybe weren't living the most honorable life? And I know it's easier said than done, but it's a simple answer, and that is we choose to. We just simply make the choice and we, we choose to understand that we all, we all got problems. We all have issues and, and we're not sure maybe how they were raised and we're not sure maybe what they went through growing up and I'm not making excuses for them, but I am saying that we forgive them. Everybody say forgive. Like we don't honor their actions, but we choose to forgive just as our heavenly father has forgiven us. You know, some have asked the question, man, why did God put me in this family? Or why did God put me in this home? Well, many times God doesn't put us in a situation, but he'll take us through that situation. And because we grew up in that situation, we might be able to come alongside others who are going through something similar. Me too. I can understand. And I had good parents growing up, but they weren't perfect. And as I get, I've gotten older, I've it seemed like when I was younger, I fixated on the things they, they got wrong, and I didn't really focus too much on the things they got right. But as I've gotten older, I've realized how little they got wrong and how much they got right. Maybe that's because I'm a parent myself, and I realize none of us are perfect. None of my kids came with a manual. We're all just trying to figure it out. And when I kind of just take a step back and I realize how much my parents have done for me and what God is saying in his word, it's this principle of honor that if we'll live by it, things will go well for us and we'll enjoy a long life on the earth. Man, honor, honor will produce faith. Honor will produce blessings in our life. If we'll hold each other in this place of, of heaviness and value. That's the fifth commandment. Now I want to switch gears because we are offering a two-for-one special today. You get two messages for the price of one. So it's, it's, great. it's a good time to take advantage of it. How do you do that? Well, just sit right there. Just don't go anywhere. And let's take a look at the sixth commandment that's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. And it simply says, you shall not murder. And this is different than you shall not kill. The Bible actually uh, never says, thou shalt not kill. And there's a difference, how many know there's a difference between murder and killing? Murder means to take a life when you don't have the authority to take that life. And there are times when law enforcement or military or the judicial system takes a life, and that's different from murder. I just want to remind us today that 
that we would understand that we are free today in the United States because men and women fought for our freedom. And they weren't violating the sixth commandment when they were fighting for our freedom. But let me give us the principle behind this commandment. If you're taking notes, uh, number two, the principle, it's the principle of love. Because love is the opposite of murder. Now, as we talk about this sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. That's a, that's a really extreme case. And many of us might say, man, I'll never get to that place. Others of us might say, well, you, I've been closer than you think, pastor. But, but have you ever found yourself in a situation where you just ask yourself the question, man, how did I get here? Come on, talk to me. I know I have. And you guys know my, my, my testimony, my story of struggling with drugs and alcohol and, and spending some time incarcerated, but I can remember sitting in a jail cell asking myself, man, how did I get here? And maybe you found yourself, maybe not in jail, but in a similar situation where you've gone through a, a tough or difficult scenario and you're sitting in your office, man, how did I get here? This is not who I am. This is not what I want for my life. How did I get here? So I want to take the next few moments and, and talk to us about the behaviors that would lead to such an extreme thing as murder, okay? And so if you're taking notes, uh, the, what behavior leads to murder, let's start off with, well, hate precedes murder. Let's take a look at it. Genesis chapter 37, verses 4 through 5 and verse 18. It says, but his brothers hated Joseph the story of Joseph, because their father loved him more than the rest of them. The brothers of Joseph hated him. They couldn't say a kind word to him. And one night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more. Verse 18, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. And as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Why did they, they conspire to, to murder him? Well, because they had hatred in their hearts for him. They couldn't say a kind word about him, and this hatred just continued to fester up, so they made plans to kill him. And so hate precedes murder, but what precedes hate? I'm glad you asked. I want to give that to you today. Anger precedes hate. Like before we, we hate someone, how many know we get angry at them? The first mur murder recorded in the Bible was because of anger with Cain and Abel. Let's read it together. Genesis chapter four, verses three through five, and then verse eight. It says, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. But Cain, notice Cain did not bring a first fruit offering which God required. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn. That's important. Lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Verse 8 says, One day Cain suggested to his brother, Let's go out into the fields, and let's just talk and hang out. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. So here we see out of anger, it, it, it festered into hate and it, and it went into murder. But I want us to understand that anger is an emotion and we can be angry and still not sin. I know the Bible says that in your anger, do not sin. That we can feel the emotion of anger and that's not sin. It's what we do in that emotion. It's what we do with the anger. Have you ever met someone who just like blew up on people? Just lost the old saying, lost their temper. Ever met anybody like that? Keep, raise your hand if you have. Keep your hand up if they're close to you right now. <laughs> have, you, 
Have any of us ever blown up on somebody? You ever lost your temper on someone? The reason we, we or maybe someone else loses their temper or blows up on someone is because we have anger that's unresolved. It's unresolved anger that's just sitting in us that causes us to explode. Think about uh, a pot with water in it. As the heat gets turned up, eventually it's going to boil over. But if there's no water in the pot, it doesn't matter how high the heat gets turned up, nothing's going to, to blow up. Nothing's going to spill over. And anger is oftentimes a cover-up or a response to pain, hurt. I've been wronged in some way. I've been mistreated in some way. And so I, anger is usually a response to pain. And, and the reason why we keep losing our temper or blowing up is because we have unresolved anger. So hate precedes murder. Anger precedes hate. And then number three, we're gonna spend a little time here, and that is offense precedes anger. Cain was offended at God and at Abel. It offended Cain that God would accept Abel's offering and not his. Put yourself in Cain's shoes. Cain felt rejected. Cain felt not good enough. Cain, Cain, Cain felt like God was against him, that he, he didn't measure up to his brother. Right? He was offended and maybe wounded in some ways. And as a result, he got angry. He had hate in his heart. And then he murdered his brother. Right? He was offended. Take a look, Matthew chapter 24, verse 10. And then many will be offended. They will betray one another and they will hate one another. Offense precedes anger. Even Jesus said, not in your notes, in Luke chapter 17, that it is impossible that no offenses come. This is not good news at all, people. We are going down and we're going down quick. What do you mean? It's, it's, it's impossible. That offense will come. Now, the Greek word for offense is the Greek word scandalon, and it means two things. The first thing that it means is stumbling stone. Someone does something that is scandalous, right, in our eyes. And maybe, maybe scandalous in the eyes of others. Maybe it wasn't just us. Everybody's like, man, they shouldn't have done that to you, and that was wrong. And it becomes a stumbling stone for us. It trips us up. Scandalin also means trap, kind of representing this, this trap. You ever, you ever maybe seen the, the trap or heard the story of just putting this small little hole in this box or whatever and putting some food in this box? And so the, the animal comes along, it can, the, the hole's just small enough to get its hand in there. As it grabs its, the food, it can't quite pull it out. The only way for the animal to, to get its hand out would be to let go of what's in the box. This is the word offense. This is the other meaning of the word scandalon. Like, like once, once they grab hold of the food, it's the trap. I'm caught in it. And the enemy of our soul puts a little scandalon or, or food in a trap for us to grab onto. And next thing you know, we can't get our hand out. Sounds crazy that, that all the animal has to do is let go of the food, but it won't, so it's trapped. And I just wonder how many of us today are still trapped holding on to some offense. Somebody did something scandalous towards us. They hurt us. They wounded us. And there's anger, maybe hatred in our hearts, and we can't quite let it go. Do you know there's actually someone else, uh, someone in the Bible that is called a stumbling stone and a rock of offense? You know who it is? Come on, any guesses out there? Jesus. That's right. 
Well done, you guys. We'll get you a cookie after service. Romans chapter nine, verse 33. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. In other words, Jesus is, is going to be in our lives either a, a stone we stumble over or a rock we build our lives on. Think about this. When someone offends us, they leave a rock in our path. When someone does something scandalous towards us, they leave a rock in our path and we have a choice. We can either stumble over it or we can step over it. Something else we can do is we can pick it up with us and carry it along and then show it to everybody else. Can you believe what so-and-so did to put this right in my path? Oh yeah, how long ago did they do that? 20 years ago. You've been carrying that rock around for 20 years? Offense. I got this offense in my... Now I know, I know all of, the, all of us and most of us are probably saying, I can murder, I don't have to worry about this one. But you see the steps we took to get there. Man, I got some hatred in my heart. I can't stand that person and what they did. I'm angry towards them. They dis I'm offended at them. And so hate precedes murder. And hopefully we never get to that point of murder, but we might hate someone. Well, what causes hate? Anger. We get angry at someone and, and we don't resolve it correctly. Well, what causes anger? Offense. But what causes an offense? If you're taking notes, write this down. Unfilled expectations precede offenses. Unfilled, unfulfilled expectations. Let's, to unpack this, there's a, there's a beautiful example in Scripture between John the Baptist and Jesus that really uh, unpacks this This. This point. Let's take a look at it. Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 19. It says, Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, John the Baptist, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the, the coming one, or do we look for another? This is an interesting question. John the Baptist sends two of his guys to ask Jesus the question, Are you the one, or should we look for someone else? John the Baptist, who's Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus in the wilderness, baptizing people with repentance and telling people that, that he baptized with water, but there was one who was coming that, that his, he wouldn't even be able to, to fit in his sandals, if you were, who would baptize in the Holy Spirit. And then when Jesus walked onto the scene, what did John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist, but then Jesus came to get baptized by him. And John said, I shouldn't be baptizing you, Jesus. Jesus, you should be baptizing me. Then later on, I'm going to keep going. Then later on, some guys come to John the Baptist and say, after Jesus started his public ministry and said, man, this guy started a church down the road and he's baptizing more people than you. And you know what John told him? Told him, he said, I told you, he's the one. I'm not the one. Go follow him. John the Baptist was even the one in John chapter three who made this statement. He said, he, said, he, he must increase and I must decrease. And so now John sends two of his guys to Jesus to ask, are you the one? How did we get here? Well, the reason was John was in prison for preaching the gospel and coming against sin. And Jesus was in the same city that John was imprisoned in. 
And so, so he sends guys asking him, Jesus, are you the one? And what's interesting, when these two guys get to Jesus and they ask him this question, Jesus doesn't even respond to the question. He just starts healing a bunch of people. And then he says this in Luke chapter 7, verse 22 through 23. It says, Jesus answered and said to them, go and you tell John the things you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. John's in prison for saying he's the one. And then Jesus comes to the very city he's incarcerated in and he's holding revival services in the city and Jesus doesn't even come to visit him. Doesn't even come to pay him a visit. John knows Jesus could get me out of this situation, but instead of getting him out of the situation, he doesn't even come to visit him. I mean, can you, if I'm John, and I have been John, I want you to know, Jesus shows up in my city. I'm thinking, this is it. He's going to get me out of this. I have these expectations that Jesus is going to do this for me. I have these expectations that, that this is going to happen He's going to set me free until he doesn't even show up. Unfulfilled expectations cause offenses. John had an expectation, and when that, that expectation wasn't fulfilled, it caused an offense. How many of us know the same things happen to us all the time? We have an expectation that our friend or our spouse is going to do something, then they don't do it, and we get offended. We have an expectation that our boss is going to do something and they don't do it. And so we get offended. We have an expectation that our pastor uh -oh, or our spiritual leader, it happens in church all the time. My pastor should do this or my spiritual leader should do this. And then they don't. And what happens? We get offended. I've had people come up to me in these past 11 years and say, pastor, I want you to know I was so offended at you. I didn't even know. I wasn't even in on it. I thought you should have done this and you didn't. And I want you to know I forgive you. That's a weird conversation for me to have, just so you know, because I didn't even know. I didn't even know we, I didn't even know our relationship was messed up. I thought we were good. I keep smiling at you in the lobby. I didn't have no idea. I just thought you were having a bad year. That's all. <laughs> but we all do this. I, I, I'm joking a little bit. I've done this. Like if I'm in, if you're gonna say, Pastor, where do you struggle at? I'm not gonna tell you. I don't. Know. But I'll tell you where Pastor Justine struggles the most. I'm just. <laughs> no, if there was, if there was in this progression, if there was a place, it would be here. This unmet, unfulfilled, unspoken expectations. I didn't even say it to them, but yet I still expected it from them. I think we do this in our families and in our marriages all the time. And so God says, thou shalt not murder. That hate precedes murder. Anger precedes hate. Offense precedes anger. Unfulfilled expectations precede offense. But we got to get to love, right? Remember, it's the, it's the principle of love. And so what precedes love? Write this down if you're taking notes, and that is forgiveness precedes love. Whew. Forgiveness covers a multitude of sins. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 44 
Jesus speaking and says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Man, how can we, how can we love someone who hates us or is our enemy? Forgiveness. How, how hate leads to murder, forgiveness leads to love. Well, how do we forgive? We remember how much we've been forgiven. And if we have a problem forgiving others, maybe we need to first receive forgiveness for ourselves. I love what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse eight. He says, freely you have received, so freely give. And if we don't, if we don't freely receive, we won't freely give. In other words, if we think we have to earn forgiveness from God, we'll make everybody else earn forgiveness from us. But if we realize, man, I did nothing to deserve or earn God's love or his forgiveness, then I won't make others around me earn their forgiveness from me. Because once we encounter grace, I know grace changes everything. And the word forgiveness means to release. I just thought, man, who, who do we need to release today? Who do we need to let go of? Like when God forgave us, he released us from the punishment of sin. And so when we truly forgive someone, it means we release them. Have you ever, has someone ever wronged you or hurt you? And then you just played over and over and over like a videotape in your mind, what they did for you, what did they did to you? Anybody ever done that besides me? And I remember just this one time in particular of just this person just wronged me and I just went over, the, I mean, I, I dissected it, all the ways they messed up, all the things they did wrong. I had my list of 45 things, man. They blew it big time. And I, and I just remember having this argument with God, like, how can I forgive them? Look what they did. I was right. And I remember God just speaking to my heart, like, of course, you don't have to forgive people who are right. You have to forgive people who are wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sitting here proving my case and God's going, you don't forgive people who are right. You forgive when they're wrong. Yeah. And by the way, you were wrong and you needed my forgiveness and you continue to need my forgiveness and you continue to need my grace and you continue to need my mercy in your life. And guess what? If you want to be in a right relationship with anybody else, you're going to have to forgive them and they're going to have to forgive you. That forgiveness precedes love. And this is the fifth and sixth commandment that God is giving to us to show us how to live, to deepen our relationships with one another. Would you pray with me today? Father, we love you in this place, God. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for how rich your word is, the depths of your truth. And as we just pause and just pray, God, our posture is, speak, Lord, we're listening. Holy Spirit, how do you want us to respond to the message today? Because we want to be doers of your word, not just hearers of your word. As we're praying together today, maybe as you reflect, maybe you reflect in your family, as sons, as daughters, as parents, have we, taken, have we taken some of those people who are closest to us lightly? Have we taken them for granted? Maybe it's time to get back to that place of honor.
in our marriages, in our families, to make memories and moments, to hold each other in a place of weightiness and heaviness and value. Maybe for others of us, there's been some offense that we've been holding on to, like the, the hand in the trap. It's time to release it. It's time to release that person. It's time to forgive. Father, we just pray right now in this place that you give us the courage to do what you're calling us to do. If it's forgive, God, give us the courage to forgive, to release. If it's to honor and to value and to not take for granted or lightly, God, help us to have the courage to make those steps. God, we want all that you have for us. We thank you for these principles of honor and love. And as we're praying together, as we close today, maybe you can't freely give because you haven't freely received. And if you need to free, freely receive the forgiveness of our Savior, that's what the cross is all about, to enter into this relationship with God that we didn't earn and we certainly don't deserve, but he gives us life and freedom and forgiveness anyways. All we have to do is receive it. If you would say, I don't have a relationship with God today and I want one, right where you're at, would you just lift your hand to heaven and say, here I am. Freely, I want to receive the life that God has for me through a relationship with Jesus. And right where you're at, would you just pray this prayer with me? Say, God, thank you for your love. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sin on the cross. Forgive me, God. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live. My life is yours. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give